Kia ora, I'm Andrew Whiteside. Today I'm speaking with Kiwi actors Stephen Lovett and Simon Leary, who are two of the four performers in Auckland Theatre Company's production of Long Day Journeys Into Night. Stephen plays family patriarch James Tyrone, and Simon plays his son Edmund. It's a remarkable play, and the two actors in this interview discuss their thoughts on it with me. Just a note beforehand, the interview was recorded at the Theatre Company's HQ, and there is some background noise partway through, but that's what can happen at a very dynamic workshop space. Simon and Stephen, uh, you're partway, just beginning, a very long season of Long Day's Journey in tonight. So uh, what's it been like so far? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's been, because, um, man, the, re- the rehearsal process is, like, speaking of Long Day's Journeys in tonight, like uh, uh, just m- massive, big days, huge content. Um, so it was just such a relief to... to get this massive production up in front of people and go oh that's right it is uh funny in places and and heartwarming and touching so yeah it's it's been huge to do the thing that we get into acting for which is to share it with an audience so it's been lovely yeah there are very very long scenes it's and lots and lots of words how do you memorize them all because it is a long long play i think in my case i i uh have the easiest of the of the lot because my character Tyrone James Tyrone is uh you know he tells stories and they make sense he's the least addled of the characters if you will uh yeah so but you know just technically how do I learn them I've no idea yeah I just learn the the impulses and the way it goes and I've been doing this for over 30 years now it just happens it's mad it's yeah I wish I I wish I could give you some reason but it, but it just does. Yeah. I mean, to be one thing I would say for anybody out there who's trying to learn how to learn lines is break the thoughts up. Don't try to learn paragraphs. You've got to learn the thoughts because each thought should build on or respond to the previous one. And they ping, ping, ping. And I guess would it also help if you understand the meaning and understand the character totally. so that it makes sense that these words belong to the person, they're natural to the person you're playing? Yeah, so, yeah if you're trying to learn whatever, 10 words in isolation with no meaning connected to them, it's just, yeah, meaningless. <laughs> but yeah, if you, if you put a thread between them, then they can, eventually you've got the story and the why. And so absolutely, yeah. Stephen, you said just then that uh, your character was the less adult. Uh, they're all pretty sourced, though, aren't they? They all drink a lot of alcohol, so they're there all kind of... And, and, of course, Mary has um, has the morphine mixed in as well. So they're all kind of these really intelligent, loving people, but they're all a bit screwed up as well. That's the thing. And they're drinking, which makes it even worse. Yeah, uh, they're drinking as a survival mechanism that they've all kind of fallen into. Um, we had a lot of discussion around all this sort of stuff. And I mean, the, the, what I'm getting at with my guy, James Tyrone, is... He's not, um, he's a quintessentially a optimistic human. Life is, and the choices he's made have kind of gone a bit haywire on him, but underneath it all is still this gutsy, rel- unrelenting love of life. So his drinking, he's one of those people who can sail it, you know, he can manage it. He's, I'm not disputing he's an alcoholic, like, you know, other members of the of the family, but he, he is able to keep himself reasonably together, whereas the others, not so much. They're still drinking to get to oblivion. 
So the, 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 the drug and alcohol abuse is, is obviously the symptom of what's going on. What, what, do you, what do both of you guys think is going on in the family? You, you've mentioned, and it's fairly obvious, you know, smashed dreams. The, the hopes and dreams they had have all gone haywire. But, but what else is there going on? For Edmund, he's... Um, I mean, I'd look at each of the members in this family and go, essentially, they're basically all going through an existential crisis of going... They're, they're stuck in this house with each other there's a lot of love for each other but they've got very very fraught relationships and so um you know Edmund is trying to figure out uh, his place in the world he's um he's actually based on the writer Eugene O'Neill uh yeah he's written it about himself and his family and um and some of the things that they had to go through in this very fraught time in their life uh so yeah uh, Edmund is um he doesn't know what he's good at. He doesn't know uh, what he loves, um, uh, what he wants to do in life, and he's searching for meaning and, uh, yeah, is is worried that it could potentially all be meaningless but is clinging to the sense of hope. Um, he's also been brought up in an environment where uh, you know, his birth was very... Uh, difficult for his mother and so there's a lot of um, blame that she holds around his whole existence that that has made his life tricky <laughs> to say the least and um, yeah and so yeah here he is thrust into this environment with uh, with these people that um, yeah he, he's, he's struggling he's struggling <laughs> and I guess the fact that uh, the family's already lost a child because I, I, I think the thing for me that was running through this is there is obviously huge love in this family, but they tip over into this anger because of this massive grief. And I think the loss of the other, it was a boy, wasn't it? The loss of the, the other child clearly has been wrenching, particularly for Mary. Do you think that's what pushed her into the, into the morphine? No, it was actually the pain management after the birth of the child. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Simon yes, Place. yeah. yeah. You know, which back in the day was when this play was written was not that unusual. And um, but look, I, can I just speak to the thing Simon was talking about? Um, because it, the danger with this play is to to sort of frame it as a story about a bunch of four alcoholics or with drug fiends. You know, and it's not. It's it, one of the sort of miracles of this piece and why I think it will last is because the author Eugene O'Neill dug deep into his own heart and soul. And when you watch this, aware that this is autobiographical. What I find very moving and touching about it is that he got to a point of forgiveness where there is no good guy or bad guy. And some of their lives did actually in the end work out okay. But he had the courage and guts to look at that when it was the hardest and to squash it all into one day, to make it that pressurised so that the audience have so little time for contemplation, just like the characters in his story had so little uh, capacity for self-observation you know I've got goosebumps then nicely nicely said um I think that um when I reviewed it that was one of the things that came out it was very brave of him to write this of course he didn't want it published initially mm. but it it must have been some kind of catharsis for him oh well his wife Carlotta describes hearing him I mean I get moved just thinking about it myself you know yeah. he went up to that room above up in you know second story of his house and she could hear him howling because it, not as he was writing, you can imagine he was up there revisiting these memories and would have been writing himself into them 
you know, I don't mean him personally writing his character, I mean writing his consciousness into the memory of them, and it would have been incredible to have to put himself through all that. And yet, uh, in a sense, the play ends with no specific conclusion. No. But there is a feeling that, that, that something has, the family has passed through something. Yeah. That, yeah. This, that, that whatever crisis they were at, has been the boil has been lanced in a way, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I mean, for the audience, sorry, so I'll no, give you a wait a minute. For the <laughs> audience, for them to be aware, hopefully enough of them are, that this is actually autobiographical. The person who's mm. put this together has done this to themselves, has been this excoriatingly honest with themselves, and to have the forgiveness for all the members of his family, to have no good guy, bad guy, no axe to grind, no point to make, just this is how much it hurts to be a human sometimes. To me, that is like one of the core endeavours of all art. Simon, were you wanting to say something? <laughs> uh, it's all right. I'll just edit. I'll just edit him out. You know? it'll, it'll just be you. I don't. Oh, please, please, Stephen. You're so beautiful and articulate. So take over all the time. Um, no, yeah, yeah I, I was just thinking about how, how, uh, yeah, something like this play can really only happen in an autobiographical thing because we in, in storytelling art storytelling our obsession is to um to go for th- these really satisfying resolutions and conclusions and um uh and arcs and yeah whereas this one i, I guess he could rely on the fact that anybody that ended up reading it um or in the end watching it would uh would know what happens to these characters afterwards and and so he could sit in that and and go yeah they've been through some stuff but are they fundamentally changed like well that's up for the audience to understand uh, to ask and but you're right i mean it, it's very genuine and very emotional because it is from his life not necessarily word for word but it is from that and therefore uh, in our own lives the the episodes that we have are never they never end black and white do they and family dynamics are never black and white, and they always flow from you know the the anger through to the love, through to the laughter. It's it's always dynamic, and I, I think that's what clearly stood out for me um, in watching this. That it, f- it felt very, very genuine and yeah. very emotional. Yeah, I mean, look, let's not make again make too much of the autobiographical autobiographical nature of it as well. Eugene O'Neill was also by this point in his career, towards the end of his career, he had already won Pulitzer prizes, and I mean prizes. I know one was posthumous. He'd won a Pulitzer Prize, so he was a very established writer. Ice Man Cometh, um, you know, Moon for the Misbegotten. He was a very, very successful, popular uh, playwright. So this, you know, that autobiographical nature of it, that's an element to it, but he was also a great artist in his own right. But do you feel that this is different in any way to his other works? Well, it is, because, like, all of his other work, hint at what he t- mm. needed to say and again you know there's this artist journey in here this road to wisdom for the playwright in that he had to go through that entire life process of becoming the great playwright he he became so that he could do this uh, probably the last thing I wanted to cover is that um, I was there on opening night and uh, there was a medical emergency. They shut the play for 15 minutes and it was right in the middle of a scene between you two, father and son, to walk quite an intense scene. Um, I have to say, really professional the way you picked it up afterwards, but it, but what is it like when that happens? Uh, first of all, very, very rare. Uh, so it's not, not something that we uh, deal with a huge amount, but... Um, uh, again, yeah, yeah. Part of being a 
professional actor is, is rolling with punches like that, finding a way to find stillness and calm in yourself, um, you know, lo- looking in the eyes of the other performer and going, I've, I've, I've got you, let's just, let's see what happens here. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly put into situation, you know, auditions and, th- you know, where you go, you go in and uh, you're in front of pe- people you've never met before and you've got to pull a performance out of you that, uh, that um, you know, could go in any direction. You've got to be extremely vulnerable. And so, so in, a, in a sense, we're, we're very primed to um, sit in moments like that. And so, we, yeah, I, I, I was with one of my favourite people at the time and so, and the audience was very lovely and warm. So we're... We felt very comfortable just hang out and uh, see what's happening. Yeah, Stephen. Oh, um, yeah. Those sorts of moments are always kind of quite magical in theatre. Particularly, you know, my thing about it is, uh, like, again, I've been doing this so long. I'm nerveless up there. <laughs> yeah, I really am. It's and that moment really was a wake-up call of like, I'm absolutely fine here. Yeah. Even as, even as the ructions were beginning through at the beginnings of Simon's speech, I don't know where your focus was, but anybody who might have been watching me would have realised I'm utterly present to Simon in his speech because it was damaging to very tender work at a late stage in the play. And Simon, I could see, was working through and it was happening behind me. So Simon's looking over, aware that behind me he can see and hear this ruckus, and we're both trying to um, manage what is this doing to the audience's um, apprehension of the play, receiving of the of the piece, and eventually, as you know, it came to a, a, an end. It became unsustainable for the show to continue. So in that moment of stillness and quiet, that to me was a kind of sacred um, space, because that negotiation that goes on in theatre, like it goes on in no other um, performance space, or possibly in live dance or whatever. But with with fourth wall theatre, when that sort of thing happens, the, the complicity between the audience and the performers and the performers and the audience is so... There's nothing like it. And the, the quiet with which it was managed by the audience was so for, sort of um, sustaining for us in the same way that I think the audience was sustained by our calmness, by knowing that it's going to be OK. This is a horrific, possibly, you know, in the end it turned out fine, but we didn't know. It looked like there was going to be a, a fatal or, you know, devastating event, as it was. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't anything near it. It was something else. And it, it was quite a remarkable moment because I was behind you, Stephen, right. so I, I could, see could see Simon, Simon's yeah. face. And I could see you focusing on Stephen as as it began, people started getting up out of the row and, and what have you, and um, it was quite fos- fascinating to watch. And then when Jared walked on and said, "We're we're pausing the production," when you walk back on stage after that pause, that uh, the applause from the audience, the cheers, was I, I found it um, mind blowing. Actually, I thought it was absolutely incredible, and it was almost as though that was cleansing. Yeah, totally. We dealt with that. We yep. cleanse it. The audience yeah, yeah. is right there with you. Yeah. We recognise, you know, and we're giving you that boost. And then it carried on as though nothing had happened. So it was, it was, yeah, it was a really beautiful moment, even though it could have been tragic. Yeah, I mean, my thing on this is like during the, the Blitz, they were still doing theatre. People still showed up and actors still went on stage. You know, that's kind of our, um, what would you call it, our pedigree. I was in Circa Theatre, I don't know if you ever were in the old Circa Theatre, but the old Circa Theatre down on the waterfront where they had steel bars 
to hold the building together. It was an old brick building. And I was watching see, uh, Secret Rapture and Kathy Downs and Jed Ludlam and I think Tree was on stage. I know she was in that production. Anyway, there was a pretty serious ac- uh, earthquake and you could hear the steel bracing clanging. It, and the whole thing stopped and we stood, sat there in silence and Kathy Downs held it for us and then just very quietly said, anyone who would like to leave is welcome to leave. Anyone who'd like to stay, we will begin in about 30 seconds. And they just stood there, and nobody left, and then we began. And unlike the applause, because there was a moment there, this time they went back a couple of, and they just began from the silence, and it was, you know, so magical. Sorry, you were going to say something? Oh, yeah, oh, I was just picking up on your, um, it continued like nothing had ever happened. But, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I, I, I would say it continued, but... There was just, a, a, I think, a renewed energy and totally. electricity in the room, and um, yeah. we were better, and the audience was more invested, I think. Yeah, so that's, again, just something like... It, it really pulled out, as Stephen was saying, the the theatricality of it, like we are all in this room experiencing this moment together, and that just really reminded us all of that. But we wouldn't recommend it to galvanise performances in the future. <laughs> no, there might, no, be, no, might no. be something in it. There's something in it. <laughs> yeah, she was a plant. She was a plant. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that was Stephen Lovett and Simon Leary from Auckland Theatre Company's new work, Long Day's Journey Into Night by Eugene O'Neill. The play runs until the 30th of July 2022 and the boys are joined on stage by their equally talented fellow actors Teresa Healy and Jared Rawiri. Now, on my website, you'll find plenty of interviews, reviews, and lots of my opinion on a variety of topics. That's andrewwhiteside.com. While there, you can sign up for my regular newsletters. And if you want to support my journalism, you can do so by buying me a coffee. Links to that also on the website. I am Andrew Whiteside. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you soon.